You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Nick, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us. Matt, absolute pleasure. Great to be on the podcast and also thank you for your wonderful software that we we use at Bluestone Lane, run the real estate nerve center. So thank you and congrats on all your success. Yeah, you guys are customer number two for us. So um, Oh wow. No wonder we get a good yeah, discount, mate. You know, because yeah, we're yeah. we're part of the beta mode. <laughs> you are, yeah. And you're never coming your logo is never coming off our website even if <laughs> even if you ask us to. Um, uh, just for the benefit of the audience, um, who may not be familiar with Bluestone or yourself, why don't you give us a quick intro? Uh, sure. Hi, I'm Nick Stone. I'm the founder and CEO of Bluestone Lane. Bluestone Lane is a premium coffee, cafe, and hospitality brand. Uh, we have a, about 65 locations across nine markets in the US. I'm originally, as you could tell from the accent, from Melbourne, Australia. And I started Bluestone without any experience whatsoever in hospitality. I came to the US to work in finance, but I missed, I missed the independent premium coffee and cafe scene in Australia. I missed feeling like a local. I didn't want to be a customer, I wanted to be a local where I walked in and knew my name, face and order. And uh, I was after better quality coffee and better quality healthier food. And Bluestone has been a huge catalyst to uh, ingraining the flat white and also the the success and popularity of the avocado smash or the avo smash and uh, the ubiquity of it now. But uh, back in 2013, you could not find a flat white. You could not find gluten-free banana bread. You definitely couldn't find an Avo Smash. And, and I'm glad that we've been sort of part of that educational process around quality and health. And, but more importantly, um, you know, the biggest role we serve is to drive human connection, bring people together, make them feel like they're part of a community, that they have a safe space, that they're recognized, and try and disrupt this obsession with digital connectivity and, and a lot of the externalities that unfortunately uh, uh, contributes to. So that's, that's us and uh, started in mid-2013 and uh, we're coming up on nine years and uh, we've seen it all. We've seen the ups and downs and in between and certainly COVID was a crazy period of time for a hospitality brand, but I'm um, glad we survived and, and if anything, we have thrived by learning more and embracing the, the pain and the crisis to sort of turn it into magic and, and to uh, hopefully build a business that's more robust with a stronger value proposition. I, I oversee real estate, so I'm, I'm, I'm heavily involved there and some of the trends and some of the insights, yeah. probably what you're saying. It's gonna be fascinating. I, just, I, I cannot believe there has not been a major correction in office real estate yet. I literally cannot believe it because I can't see occupancy anywhere near where it was. Like I've yeah. got no, like it's two years and I, we see, we get all the data on transactions level. We're in so many office buildings and 
it's wild. It's absolutely wild. And I think that um, maybe it hasn't happened because a lot of corporates had cash and the and the cost of capital was so low they didn't have to worry about it. But now with economic slowdown, I think not only are companies going to be trimming staff, which they've been doing now, yeah. I think they're going to be looking at expenses everywhere. And uh, I just think they're going to be like, wow, we we you know we didn't need. 100,000 square feet anymore. We actually only need 50,000 and because at any time we only have 30, 40, 50% of the total workforce in the office because yeah. they're on the road, they're they're on leave, they are working from home and yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think this is just, uh, I'm shocked. I'm still shocked that, it, that you haven't had blow through the headlines that that the asset revaluations in that market have changed. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. I wonder right. if it's because like they're just like holding out hope that the recession doesn't last too long, and it's like let's keep, you know, deploying the capital that we've invested smartly, and and try to avoid a huge dip, and then you know slowly people will come back to the office. But I don't know. It's it's fascinating to me too because it's not only just the economy and the capital markets, but it's also just like this massive shift into like being able to work from anywhere too. And that's like killing killing the vibe of people coming to the office every day. Yeah, uh, I just think people people think, you know, differently about it. Like for us, you know, we did a lot of work with our team on, on whether they want to go to the office or not. And there's just there's just not enough people that want to go in yeah. regularly. Like, so they like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. But would they commit to it? No, they won't commit to it. But they will definitely commit to like social events. So then, do you think about um, the your use of your office space in different ways? You know, are you better to have four offsites a year, which are magical, yep. than to have a midtown Manhattan office? I yep. don't know. It could be a yep. similar cost equation. You might get a tremendous amount of engagement by doing offsite, So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, and for us, like a huge part of our proposition is to be an amenity to help uh, attract tenants to fill vacancies and to enhance the retention proposition. Um, and some of the discussions we have with landlords are particularly frank around, we are an amenity. You're, you're pretty much asking us now to make uh, the same you know, revenue that is, that's financially sustainable that essentially comes from three days out of the seven. Yeah. Because you get nothing on the weekend. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when people and like, we now have get to be nothing in the office. on. Yeah. We get nothing on Monday, and we yeah. get absolutely nothing on Friday. Friday used to be a really, even with summer Fridays in the Northeast, we still used to have a good Friday because a lot of people would go out and catch up with a colleague and grab a coffee or an avocado smash. That would be the one day where they'd sort of invest a bit more time in going to the coffee shop. Now, no one is at work. Yeah. You know, and it is literally four day. It's four days away from the office in a row: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then come in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, if that. So, yeah, it's for our business. It's a very, very. As I said, I use the word frank <laughs> deliberately because it is. We can we can skirt around the edges, and I can tell you exactly what's happening. And if we are not an amenity, really aligned with being part of a broader building and tenant management solution like and 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 part of the broader buildings proposition it just will not work economically i I have no idea how businesses could could work um i'll run off three out of seven and coffee where it's small check 
but a lot of them annuity like properties it's just it's impossible so yeah. uh yeah it's it's you know but that uh you know some landlords uh don't don't agree yeah and i don't know if it's their their um nostradamus or their naive is <laughs> someone's gonna be right um, yeah. but i just i just you know i'm a pretty objective person you know i never I mean, we can get on the history of Bluestone, but you know, my first ever hospitality job is founding Bluestone. You know, I've had yep. three careers. First as a sportsman, uh, playing professional football for six years, Australian rules football. Then uh, investment banking, corporate finance for 11 years. And then I went full-time at Bluestone after we had 12 locations in mid-2016. So we're coming up on our ninth uh, year since we launched, launched our first store, which was in Midtown Manhattan, a subterranean basement. Uh, class B building, if that, um, at 805 Third Avenue. We, we, we have no signage outside. We're not allowed a sandwich board. There's, it's impossible to find us unless it was really word of mouth. About a 200 square foot store, 250 tiny, but uh, below a broken, a constantly broken elevator. But we, we made it work by focusing on, focusing on executing really well and really knowing in a very detailed and confident way what our value proposition is. And we are service-led, focused on being a human connection company, not a coffee company. And you know, back then, nine years ago, um, we wouldn't have known uh, the not only the growth in certain products like the yeah, uh, ubiquitous nature of avocado smash now, or avocado toes and yeah. flat, the flat whites were gonna be elevated to the core menu of the Starbucks. Uh, espresso range, which was yeah. a huge acknowledgement to those Aussies and Kiwis out there. Yeah. But um, I don't think we understood well enough the need in society for brands that drive human connection, that you can offer an affordable luxury experience that can provide that daily ritual, that recognition when you walk in to feel like a local, not a customer, not a homogenous, you know. Um, uh, transactionally led relationship but actually someone where you feel part of a community and you feel that you are a part of the success of the business and you have that reciprocal relationship with the team and uh, you know that was nine years ago next week and uh, I'm enormously proud of, of what we've done and how we've navigated the the challenges including COVID but um, right now the world needs more people together and uh, more understanding, more communication, and I think less sort of living in this digital world where yeah. uh, you have a digital veil, you have protection, you know, that you can say things without any recompense and think that it's appropriate. It's just, it just, we need to drive more of that humanity and I'm glad that we're sort of working towards it. Yeah, I mean, we'll get back there at some point. I agree with you 100% on that. It's the digital kind of, I feel like I'm just like a box on a screen 90% of my life, but you know, you gotta, you gotta get out and talk to people and have a coffee with them every once in a while. I, so what, um, well, go if ahead. you think about, yeah. if you, on that angle, like if you think about the, the unequivocal pandemic that society has, which is around loneliness, in isolation, look at mental health rates, look at suicide rates yeah. that exponentially increasing despite more funding than the world's ever seen. And what's the most critical piece of advice that someone who's feeling low with their self-esteem, self-concept, disconnected, 
everyone's advice is go and go, go and speak with someone go and go chat with some, someone go talk to somebody go yeah, do go, something grab yeah. a mate grab a coffee go for a walk go for a run go to the gym play golf like go and watch a show it's always with somebody and it's amazing that we have this digital world where through messages and very um, superficial aesthetic things like sharing photos I'm sure there's other social media platforms that are working on ways to make it more real but it's it's you know it's indisputable amount the positive bias that happens on some of these platforms but like nothing substitute will um, disintermediate the power of being with someone even yeah. for five minutes yeah. and just the uh, you know we're social beings humans love being with other humans and it was just it was a problem and then it was a cataclysmic issue because of COVID and uh, you know with us like we just want to we just want to drive community where it's actually real a lot of people use the buzzword community we're a community focused brand like please spare me it's like because it, you use the word because it'll enhance your valuation like, we drive community because 90% of our transactions in our cafes are two or more people Right. that's a real stat that's yep. not just I buy a product and I feel part of the community that's that's yeah. the real deal so I'm, I'm very very proud of it it's probably like the thing I didn't understand um, when we when we found it how powerful it would be but if I look back on why I created Bluestone and it was purely out of self assessment um, self necessity I was craving the human connection I yes I missed healthy made to water food and I missed premium coffee but nothing like how much I missed feeling like a local where I'd walk in and they would know my name, face and order that I just wasn't another poorly written name on a cup being fed out in a sort of <laughs> yeah. waiting there a with another 50 other people. Yeah, another widget, another lemming, you know, so. Yeah, so were you uh, pressing flat whites yourself when you were at the, uh, at the original cafe? No, no I wasn't. I, I had um, I was very much a, a connoisseur uh, and, and I was on the other side as a local a consumer I, I didn't leave banking until we had 12 stores okay. I would work yeah. in summer down on the weekends at certain stores as a dishy or a host I worked in Montauk for the first couple of years with my, my wife and we are all you know bottling cold brew so I'd always get my hands on the operations but I was I was working in finance for the first you know continued my career for the first three years and it was absolutely the best thing to do because we didn't have money we didn't have the ability to build out a corporate team we didn't hire a corporate resource until two and a bit years in yeah. so um, I was able to continue to invest in Bluestone because I had um, I had a salary and and I also think that. I just I wouldn't have been additive early on I would have probably frustrated the business by trying to push it too hard and maybe a bit unnaturally but I had come from uh, you know high performance sport background into you know high performance corporate background and it just needed to, the evolution and to grow and I encourage that with a lot of founders like they talk about oh, I'm going to go all in and I'm like well I think the time to go all in is when you're like you're really confident in your value proposition and it financially makes sense for the company and for you personally because once you have, if you're married or if you have a partner or if you've got commitments with, with children or parents or family, 
it can be enormously yeah, yeah. stressful to leave a job and to go all in on the startup and earn nothing. Like, do you really think that you'll perform that well when you every day you're worried about whether you can pay the rent? Yeah. I don't think you should have, you know, superfluous money and, and have made it. But I think you need to have a bit of that pressure. But, you know, like, I think there's a balance there. And, and, and yeah. uh, it depends on where you're at in your life cycle. I, I agree. I, I remember I, I tried to start a company before this company back when I had a full-time job as a commercial real estate broker and I remember meeting with a potential investor and he described that what you did as, as the entrepreneurial drag coefficient. He's like, what, do you have a wife? Does she work? Do you have a mortgage? How much is that? Like you got to factor all of these things in because you're, you're saying you want to quit your high paying you know, real estate job and go do this, but like, how realistic is that for you to actually do before this thing is, is even like close to being like minimally viable in the market? And I yeah. was like, oh, good point. <laughs> and I'm glad, I, I'm glad I had that advice back then because I went and ended up working at VTS, which was a startup, learned a lot, you know, my, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a spouse that, you know, can make enough money to make ends meet while I like leave my job and work at a startup yeah. and then start my own company. So those are all real considerations. Unless of course you're like 23 years old and you're living at your parents' house and you can, you know, create an app yeah. and like you don't have that drag coefficient. So you're right. Like there's definitely some realist realism that has to like come to the fore at some point when, when people, I mean, everybody just glorifies like, Oh yeah, just go out and start a month, start a company and raise money. It's not that easy. Like, that, there's a it's reason just, why 90% of startups fail, right? It's just not. And um, it might not be the best solution. As I said, I, I, in my own sort of self-reflection, like, I, I just don't think I would have been very helpful at Bluestone going full-time early on. I, yeah. I, I sincerely believe that I wouldn't have the patience. And yeah. a lot of these things, they need to have like natural iteration, learn, and press it too hard. You actually might blow it up. And like I just think it's just this... Um, it's the whole notion of just, just you know, fail fast and you know, fail yeah. quickly and just raise as much money. That is the biggest bull market, like top of the cycle advice. Okay, so what happens now if you're running a startup that had a phenomenal burn and now there is literally a frozen capital market? Yeah, so your valuation what do you do now? is yeah, exactly. And your value and you're a client that just lost ninety percent of your valuation in six months, like. And it was the second most valued uh, European fintech company. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just not for me. I went full time in 2016 because we had 12 stores. We were doing 10 million bucks, and I think we had raised 8 million. So I'm like, okay, that's probably good. I took maybe 65 percent pay cut. Yep. And but my partner. Uh, well, at that stage when I went full time, my wife, we'd, we'd got married in uh, 2015, I went full time in mid 2016. Yeah, she had her own career, an established career. And I've been, and also was 34 years of age, nearly 35. Like, I, I was married, we had obligations, we had a mortgage, we wanted to have a family, we had our first child in the next year. It's just, you know, some of these things, you just, you just can, I worked. I worked two jobs. That's what I did, and you know, I I still put in at Bluestone um, at least 40, 50 hours a week. You know, you become obsessed with a startup. So, yeah. you know, every time I'm not in banking, I'm working on Bluestone every night, every weekend. So you can find a way. But yeah, I'm not I'm not a big proponent of the all in unless you are so young and 
your idea is so good and the proposition's so compelling and you've great mentors around you giving you that objective advice, validating your, your instinct and then you can raise money. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So you went from 12 stores and what are you, you're at 60 plus now or right around yeah. there. Like how, like, yeah. Did you raise more money and then how did you then kind of get it from that level? Because, I mean, I've been to your stores all over the country here in Boston, in New York, in San Francisco. Some of them are that office anchored kind of amenity, but others are, yeah. you know, street level retail. Like, how did you yeah. kind of look at the strategy once you started really expanding? Yeah, so we, we you know, we, I think there was, it was a, a lot of discussion around you know, where you do expand and we have two concepts we have a coffee shop which is more of a captive audience amenity and then we have cafes more like daytime restaurants yep so which you scale more and for us like cafes like big 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 brand brand driver it's a bit like a hub and spoke model and then you've got coffee shops which are like little satellites you can put them everywhere so coffee shops probably compete more with starbucks and duncan providing yep. an alternative more premium proposition and then cafes probably compete with more independent restaurants and um so yeah you know like i i think that in when i went full time like we had ambitions quickly to get it to sort of 25 locations and then um we had done a, a few different sort of smaller rounds um we didn't have the whole seed and pre-seed and everything like our series a was three hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> where the majority was yeah. i put the money in so and a couple of mates put in 50 grand so um you know like we 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 sort of done smaller rounds of 350 grand a million three million eight million sort of like that and then we we did a large sort of larger institution around in uh in the middle of June 2018 and that gave us the capital to really like double the size of the business and because opening stores you know they're capital intensive we, we're a lot more efficient than the majority of our peers but still to open a coffee shops anywhere between 200 grand and 400 grand and the cafes anywhere between 300 grand and 600 grand so um, you know a lot less than a lot of other restaurants that's for sure but yep. um, still requires capital and you have to be investing in your team as you get bigger because every store you open, you're adding, you know, one to two million dollars of revenue, you know, yep. out of the gate. So it's you can grow very quickly uh, at top line. So, um, you know, like we, it was, it was a bit of a, it, we decided to grow using using uh, external capital and rather than focused on building a really profitable business that throws off free cash flow. Um, until you know we got to a certain scale well now we're at that scale and we're profitable we can't fund the capex profile on internally generated cash flow we still rely on external capital but that's the best option for us and yep. but you know we uh, during covid the covid hit uh, our last capital raise which wasn't a big one it was eight million it was in october 2019 we, we made it all the way through, you know, essentially now um, without raising any capital. We, so awesome. we became very efficient through necessity. You know, um, it's, it's, it, you know it's, it's just, you know, the, the cat's cry that, you know, um, you know, necessity is the mother of all innovation. And that, that's exactly what happened. Like we were like, okay, well, we're either gonna survive or fail. It's a binary outcome. And uh, for us to survive, not only do we have to sort of stabilize the business and get the cost structure under control, which was incredibly hard. Like the decisions 
I would have never have thought I would ever make. Like yeah. you're going to make um, 87, 88% of your workforce redundant and you have to do it literally today to, yeah. to, to survive. Or you're going to get rid of uh, 11 stores this week and you're going to get rid of all your, your office, your training facility, your production, your bakery, your roastery, and it's going to happen right now. Just really, really hard decisions. But um, they were the right ones. My, my objective as a CEO for, for the well-being of everybody, including those teammates that were unfortunately heartbreakingly let go, was to, to ensure that we remained viable and that we could ride it out and eventually hire people back. And that was my singular goal. And um, it was to, to do it in a way where we continued to provide the world with a beacon of hope by keeping some stores open and keeping some members of our team employed and also sort of trying to support healthcare heroes out there that were putting their body on the line every day to, for the society to keep going. And uh, enormously proud of what we achieved, but it, it, was, it, was, it was really hard. But if I look back on it now, like, I would not change it. It was so challenging, but the lessons uh, and what I learned about myself and my leadership style and my team you're never going to get that that level of learnings through operating in a benign environment, yeah. which the world's been in. You know, the US had economic growth for like you know 15, 16, 17 years or something, and yeah, uh, it was it was crazy. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but I I, I actually like are indebted now to the pain and suffering because you just learn so much about myself, and I think I also learn a lot about my priorities and how important my family are to me and things that are probably being too focused on and, and to the detriment that, that I probably had the priorities slightly jumbled. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, growth occurs in discomfort, right? That's when you learn the most about yourself and what you're capable of and kind of person you are. So I think, I mean, we as a software company did not have the same uh, decisions to make as someone in food and beverage during a pandemic. I mean, that sounds like it was excruciating to have to sit there at night and figure out, you know, how you're gonna break this news to people and stuff like that. Um, we've been fortunate enough to also take external investment from really just the beginning of our company. Um, but as you know, you guys are users of our software. We have a much different value proposition. In certain situations, our software becomes more valuable when, you know, companies like you guys are trying to figure out your real estate footprint, because you have it all right there and you can drive decisions based off our platform. So we actually, in some perverse way, benefited from the pandemic because a lot of companies just didn't have their act together with, with how they make real estate decisions and our software enabled them to do that. So we actually saw growth during the pandemic, um, which enabled us to get to our recent Series A round. Um, but you know, knock on wood, <laughs> you know, it keeps going like that. Um, but I mean, it's, it's fascinating to hear how you had to like overnight like shut down you know big parts of your company that you painstakingly built over the last you know three years and just yeah Rela relationships relationships yeah you, you yeah know, we had a lot of people on visas um where we couldn't and the visa was linked to employment and we couldn't employ them anymore so they effectively had their life like significantly disrupted and there was, there was really no option because our sales, and you know, that's one of the fortunate things with software, you can have, as long as everyone keeps paying, you know, you've got that. 
SaaS revenue, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but for us, we went from not only did locals or customers stop coming in, governments told you, hey, by the way, you're you not can't allowed do to this. serve anyone anymore. You can't operate your business. Yeah. You and we're talking not like oh a month and you can be open. California, there was no indoor or even outdoor dining for nearly a year. Yeah. I, I think indoor dining was banned for over a year, but outdoor dining, they ended up banning for like eight months. Like you're telling me I can't sit outside. And, and it wasn't just you couldn't serve people sitting outside. You actually couldn't have seats outside to, to be seen in any way of inducing or encouraging people to, to you know, yeah. commit reckless behavior. But, uh, you know, it was a wild time. It was really hard, but... Um, we, we, we didn't waste the crisis. We used it to our advantage to learn more about our customers, about our team, about our values, to, to, to embrace technology. We went from pre-COVID, we were about 5% of all of our sales came from a digital channel. And, but from the period March 2020 through to the end of 2021, we averaged sort of nearly 88% of all transactions were digitally Whoa. enabled. Which is like extraordinary. And we, in 12 hours, we went from um, basically 5% of sales being digital to 100%. We said the only way to order or pay is via a digital device. No cash, no credit cards, no one's allowed in the stores. You have to stay out, but you order on your phone or you order on a website. And that was just transformational for us and something that uh, at steady state now at high 60s, even with people, you know, back in back in restaurants and cafes and really wanting to order with a server again, our core customer, 90% millennials, uh, 65% of the millennials are women. They love using the Bluestone Lane technology, the app. Um, they love the loyalty program. They love the frictionless ability to press a button and they've got a breakfast burrito and a rainbow bowl and a cold brew. You know, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty, and they love the transparency and they love the control. Um, so it's been a really interesting experience, but yeah, as I said, there's been a lot of um, fortunate things that have come about. But yeah, the biggest one that we're really focused on now is just driving that community, driving that service, so people feel fantastic after they leave. You know, they could have a. Uh, it's such a powerful thing that you could be up. Like I've got three, three young. Well, my wife and I have three young kids. We've got a four-year-old, we've got a two-year-old, we've got a one-year-old. Like the ability in the morning to wake up and bundle a couple of the kids or all of them in a stroller and head to your local coffee shop oh, yeah. and walk in where they go, Stoney, how are you, mate? Well, how was last night? Oh, it was terrible. really hard last night. Oh, here you go. Here's a flat white. You want a croissant? You want to have a smash? No, the kids just want a baby tuna. Great. How are you going, Bella? Good. Like, yeah. How addictive is that? That is just... That's yeah. more addictive than the caffeine and the product. It's feeling like you're... You're, you're recognized that you're important, that you're part of the community, that you are valued. And in this society, mate, we need more of that, less likes on a photo, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So I love being part of that and trying to be part of the solution and make people feel good about them, their life and their community. And we serve 75,000 people a week at the moment. So, you know, we, we're having a real tangible impact. That's awesome, yeah. I, uh, I... I don't know what I would do without being able to just walk walk to the places that are 
that are close to me with my kids on a Saturday morning when you're like, I got to find something to do with the kids. Okay, let's just walk down to Bluestone Lane and grab a croissant and a yeah. coffee or whatever. It's like, got to get yeah. them out of the house. And, and yeah, no, I, I that's 100% agree with that. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the rapid fire questions. I'm going to give you one minute to answer each. Um, so you can take all one minute. You, one minute. One minute. One minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most people just take one word. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, what is one fun fact about yourself besides being an Australian rules football player? Well, one fun fact. Well, as it relates to Bluestone Lane, I never ever made a coffee prior to founding Bluestone Lane, so that's a fun fact. Um, I've had three careers already, that's a bit of a fun fact, and, and they really have, on superficial level, nothing to do with each other. So I was first professional footballer for six seasons, then I worked in corporate finance for 11 years, and now I'm in hospitality, uh, you know, when, when I'm coming up to six years. So um, that's quite unusual. So never worked a day in hospitality, didn't, even, didn't pour a coffee, didn't pour a beer, didn't work a single day in hospitality before found, being the founder of Bluestone Lane. So there's a little fact for you. That's a fun fact. I delivered pizzas when I was in college, so I guess that's my hospitality career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's more logistics. So, okay. It's more logistics, man. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. Now it's like supply chain. That's right. Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, what's your go-to coffee order? Oat milk, piccolo. I walk into any Bluestone, I'd say there's 90% chance that an oat milk piccolo is made for me. Uh, I don't really have any other demands. I'm not one of those founders that walks in and has to have that table and, you know, needs a certain dish and needs something that's not on the menu custom. All I really want is an oat milk piccolo and a hello. And honestly, to be treated um, like a second class citizen, I want our team to treat our customers as the king and queen and the priority and I just want to be secondary don't worry about me don't fuss over me focus on the customers so that's my go-to nice um, okay question three and it, you can't say avo smash what is one food you could never give up oh you know it's pretty hard to give up chips like hot chips fries chips they're just yeah they're so powerful yeah. I don't know. It's unbelievable. It's terrible. I eat way too many, but it's just so easy. You have dinner and someone goes, oh, should we get fries for the table or chips? It's just impossible to say no. Yeah. So I would looking say, at the menu. You're like side salad, fries. Ugh, God, fries. And even if, I, if, even if you choose the side salad and you think, yeah, I'm looking after myself. If someone says, do you think we should get some fries for the table? No one ever says no. Let's not yeah. get the fries to the table. So I'd say yeah, with fries even, with that is, is impossible to live without. Yeah, and even if they're bad fries, you still eat them. You know what I mean? They're, they're addictive. They're, they're, they're dangerous. Yeah. All right, switching gears a little bit. Question four. Uh, who is your favorite cartoon character? Oh, favorite cartoon character? That's um, that's a really technical one. Listen, there's a lot. I, I, I know a lot more because of having kids, but right now my favorite is definitely I love Bingo. So uh, have you, do you know Bingo? About no. these Australian uh, like Kelpies and uh, yeah, they live oh, this yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like it's like but he's a blue, he's a blue, blue dog, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's like blue healer. Yeah, yeah. So um, I love that series. Bingo is incredible. Um, my kids love it. I don't know. I used to love Ren and Stimpy. I thought yeah, that I was like Ren and, Stim yeah. Ren and Stimpy was so intelligent, like so crass, 
um, for a young age. But yeah, you know, like, like that, that would probably be my big two. I'm not. I've never been big into spider-man or i love batman i i not as much like the comics i'm never there was never into comics but yeah i absolutely love the original batman with jack nicholson i just think that performance was just extraordinary and uh, i've i've watched that movie a hundred times uh, I was yeah. so pumped up when it came out. I don't know, thirty years ago or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and feeling. like they keep remaking them every like three, four years, and you're like, ah, okay, I'll watch this one too. There, you, there's you no, there's no villain like Jack Nicholson. Like he, he was just made for that role. It was just, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, incredible. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, last question here, uh, which is a standard question that we ask everybody: Who are two people that we should have on this show next? Oh, that's a very good question. Well. My, my wife's got a pretty amazing story. I think that she, she'd be really interesting around like awesome. um, navigating. And I'm not saying this just because it's my wife, but like she's a really inspirational person. She was uh, studying osteopathic medicine and then got signed to model overseas. She never ever, she was never had any ambitions to do it. She sort of, I wanted to live in New York. She did it and then. She was basically the facto founder of Bluestone. She founded then Husk, which is a, a allergen-free company, and then she did. She finished biomedical science degree. She did nutrition postgrad. She then went to Joseph Pilates school. Like she's started personal training, Whoa. doing dietary, all this sort of stuff, and then had three kids under four. So um, yeah. while living while living, you know, between countries, so she's been amazing. But outside of her, like we have, um, we're so fortunate to have some incredible members. Of, of of our board of directors and one person in particular her name's Denny Post she is just an extraordinary person her history her mother um, you know they, they were profoundly impacted by the Holocaust and you know moving to the US and creating a life and um, the determination and the family orientation yeah really special person she'd be great Denny Post highly recommend but like if you're gonna go for a big one. You know, you, if you if I really had like some of the big ones to go for, you know, Branson be pretty amazing, right? I reckon yeah. Richard Branson, some of those, you know, just like really really interesting stories and uh, great storytellers. But there's this, it's one thing. I, it's probably the best thing in life, like meeting people and hearing about their journey and their passions. Like I just thrive. I just love it. I love someone who's just passionate. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be throwing the frisbee. It could be building a company could be being a parent I just I love hearing it and I love being around those energizers it's it's awesome yeah yeah well you're one one of those people so we appreciate your time Nick this has been awesome (laughs) oh Matt you know this has been a fun one and uh, yeah pretty candid I think yeah yeah. uh, that's how we like it yeah that's uh, that's Australian nature actually Uh, you know tell the truth but you know do it in hopefully a humble way i'm very excited that cameron smith just won the british open golf so i don't know oh, when yeah. this episode's going to play it's but, confirmed that uh yeah. he confirmed that you could fit two beers in the claret jug i know can you believe sure. that like this just sums him up like he flies commercially takes it on and puts it in the overhead didn't look like he was in first class or anything he's just and he's yeah. like still in his golf gear unbelievable so yeah. cool I, I, I love those people it's very australian All right, Nick. Well, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Cheers, Matt. Thanks.